Well, if you have your copy of the scriptures, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Uh, you will also see it on the, uh, <clears throat> on the screen behind me. We have for several weeks had the opportunity to uh, travel through this scripture passage and uh, very excited to talk with you about it this morning. So let's begin by listening to what God's word says. <clears throat> Therefore, who, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. <clears throat> For several weeks now, we have uh, kind of expounded upon this passage of Scripture and talked about if we have a desire to build strong families, then it requires intentionality. You don't build wisely by accident. As a matter of fact, I remember the... Uh, um, story. It's a true story because it's about, it's about me as a kid. I don't have much uh, experience building things unless it was with Lincoln Logs. You, you can't find Lincoln Logs anymore. That's a quality toy. But when we, uh, when we were kids, uh, I had the living room and the, um, the way the carpet in our living room was laid out, it wasn't completely flat. It had those wrinkles. You ever try to get wrinkles out of carpet? It's terrible. And so when you're building Lincoln Logs, my house always kind of looked like this because of the wrinkles in the carpet. It didn't matter how I would smooth it out, they would come back. And so you have to be very intentional. Not only do you have to be wise in your leadership, you have to build on the right foundation. And the problem is in life, you know, you've heard it said that if you're climbing the corporate ladder and you get to the top and you realize you're on the wrong wall, usually we find out that we're building on the wrong foundation when there's an accident, when something bad has happened. And so to build strong and to build wisely, we need to be wise and intentional in our leadership. We need to build on the right foundation. And then last week, we talked about why all of these things are so important, because there are storms in life that come. And if we've built wisely, we're not promised that the storms are going to bypass us. We're promised that we will survive, that we'll make it through the storm. And so this morning, today's going to be a little bit different, <clears throat> because we are on the precipice of moving into a campaign season. And it is not lost on me. I don't need to hear any Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump jokes because it's not that kind of campaign. Um, but we are getting to ready to go into a capital campaign. And so there are some things that we need to talk about. There are some facts that we need to know. There's some information that you need to hear. And so this morning, <clears throat> when we talk about Matthew 7, 24 through 27, about building wisely on the rock, this is not so much what I am most comfortable doing which is like walking through a passage of Scripture and kind of just making specific points through that. Today is really more of an exhortation, more of an encouragement to say, guys, we have an incredible opportunity before us. And if everybody does their part, we have the opportunity to see God do an amazing thing among us. And so it's not going to be, uh, and I'm sorry, uh, listen, we got a bunch of people visiting today. Uh, most Sundays are kind of a normal, more traditional sermon. Today's going to be a little bit different, but we want to talk about what we are going to do. And when we talk about this whole idea of building strong, you've got it on your um, bulletin. It's going to be on the brochure that you get today. It's going to be all over the place. Um, <clears throat> we use that language in three different ways. And I tried to explain that if you read our church's newsletter. I tried to explain that this week. There are three ways that when we talk about uh, building strong that are important for us to know. And I just want to make sure we clarify 
what we are talking about so that everybody's on the same page. First and most importantly, when we talk about um, building strong, we're talking about our mission, which the best way to state it, you'll see it on the screen, is that we are about building strong families by encouraging everyone to put Christ first. We think that we, think that we have found something that is established upon the bedrock of Scripture, but in the cultural crosshairs of life. Family, the very word, is a debated topic in our society. And we don't believe that this is just a sociological concept that professors get to morph and change, and politicians get to, you know, listen to the winds of life and make a decision. And we believe that God defines who the family is. And so we think building strong families is more important in our day and age than perhaps in any day and age that has come before us. Building strong families is important. And we can't have a definition of building strong families that is apart from Christ. If Christ designed the family, then it would be like trying to put equipment together and not paying any attention to the directions that you're given. You avoid the warranty. When problems happen, you're on your own. But if you do it according to the instruction book, there's help that comes. So number one, it's a mission. Number two, it's a strategy. You've noticed that BUILD is an acronym, B-U-I-L-D. That's our strategy. How are we going to build strong families? Well, we're going to do it by telling families, you need to believe together in worship. You, you need to understand together in groups, Bible study groups, Sunday school, small groups, whatever kind of groups that are studying the Word. I, you need to invest your time, talent, and treasures. L, you need to live out the gospel. And D, we need to learn to depend upon one another as a faith family. That's our strategy. We don't think you can build a strong family apart from building it on the Word. That's what Matthew 7 says. So we're going to do it in worship, in groups. We're going to invest our time, talent, and treasures. We're going to live it out, and we're going to depend upon one another. But build strong is also our campaign theme. It's uh, kind of a little pun. Build strong. We're building strong families. Build strong buildings. Build strong uh, relocation. And so the truth is, when we talk about a campaign, and we talk about money, man, that's a touchy subject. Because money has been given godlike status in our, in our culture. Um, and here, here's the thing, here's how I want to frame the whole conversation here. <clears throat> what you spend your money on is a matter of worship. What you spend your money on is a matter of worship. So um, Scott Crouch is, yes he is. I'm sorry bro, I'm doing it again. Okay, so uh, forgive me in advance. If you go get your car washed and waxed every week and you make sure those t- that chrome on your bumper is super shiny and you're shelling out whatever, ever- Richard, I'm sorry. Amen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you do that every week, guess what we may have just exposed by looking at your finances? That you have an idol of your automobile. If you eat at Outback Steakhouse three times a week, you might be a Hindu because it seems like you worship beef. You know, we can tell by the way you spend your money what you value because you always can assign a dollar value to what is important to you. Moms and dads, how much money you spend on your kids? One billion dollars, you know? And you know what? It's completely possible, even for Christian parents, to make their kids an idol. Anything in life can be an idol. Your free time, your hobbies, all these kinds of things. And so, listen, the church has We don't like to talk about money because there's some preacher somewhere that all he ever does is preach about money and he's ruined it for the rest of us. But listen, we believe that how you spend your money is an act of discipleship. And we have to demonstrate 
to a watching world that God is in control of our money, not that our money is in control of us. And so admittedly, when we start talking about your habits and how you spend money, oh, that gets a little squishy. That gets a little, that gets a little close to home. But we're all willing to kind of let it roll off our tongues that God owns it all anyways. Then why is it so hard for that to be demonstrated in our lives by how we give? And so uh, I'm, I'm not here to step on any toes. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to say that our giving is an act of our discipleship. And so the best way for us to demonstrate that God owns our money and that our money doesn't own us is to use our money that God has entrusted to us the way that God would have us to. So we have talked for weeks about building strong families. And I think that this is such an important goal. I think it's such an important thing. And um, we have done some things kind of in a, in, in a strange manner. We have done everything we can to not talk about a building. Have you noticed that? Anybody, anybody notice we've not talked about a building? <clears throat> because when we talk about idols, one of the things that is very possible to happen, and I've seen it happen in countless churches. I haven't seen it happen here, but I've seen it that the actual building that churches meet in becomes an idol. We're not the temple. There is n- this is not Solomon's temple. This is not the tabernacle. You know what God's temple is? It's your heart. So you want to know the place where God lives? He lives in your heart. He doesn't live in this room. Like, if you come in on Monday morning, this building's empty. And I love the way that our Puritan forefathers talked about this building. You know what they called this building? They didn't call it a sanctuary. They didn't call it an auditorium. You know, they, didn't call, they call it the meeting place. Isn't that a good word for, for this, this place? It's the meeting place. What do we do? We meet. Well, who do we meet? Each other. Who else do we meet? God. So this is the meeting place. And we don't want idolatry of place to be a, a trip up for us. And so we have worked very hard to say what we are going to be is much more important than what we're going to build. Do you believe that? What we're going to be, much more important than what we're going to build. And so when we talk about this campaign, I hope by now that you see that what we're talking about is much more than simply a um, financial goal. This is an intense time of ministerial focus and financial focus. And we're asking you to commit to our Build Strong campaign because we believe it's a worthy goal. Here's who I think it's going to be good for. You know who I think it's going to be good for? I think it's going to be good for our church. You think in our church family, let's say 400 of us, you think it's important for us to build strong families for our own sake? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You don't want to know the stories about families that are struggling. There's a lot of them in the church. But I don't think this is just going to be good for our church family. I think it's going to be good for our church. It should be good for our city. Anybody know how many people live in Rock Hill? Take a guess. Somebody take a guess. Somebody be bold. 80,000 people in Rock Hill. You know how many people in Rock Hill live at or below the poverty line? 29,000 people. What's the percentage on that? Sorry. No. (laughs) 29,000, almost 30,000. Out of 80,000 people live at or below poverty. Listen, we're going to build strong families. We had better pay attention to what's happening around us because that has a huge impact on what we do and how we do. So building strong families, it should be good for our church. And you know what? We have missed something if it's not good for our city. 
I believe that building, God's, uh, building strong families will be good for Christians in the same way. It should be good for non-Christians don't even know that we exist. It should be good for our families. It should be good for other families. We have really missed the boat if all we do is take this and make it an internal thing where, you know what, my family's fat and happy and the heck with the rest of you. Man, that's not Christian. We should build strong families because our world needs to see it and because there's people out there that need hope. And we love it because one of the things that our church has done so well over the years, we have been a family. Um, We've got single people that are part of our church that feel like they're home when they come to church on Sunday. We've got people with no biological connection. We've got some people that are five, six, seven, eight generations that have been in this church. Of course, this feels like home for them. We've got people that walk in the door and they've been here for six months and they feel like they're home. Guys, I can't tell you what a precious thing that is. Building strong families doesn't have anything necessarily to do whether you're actively parenting. It doesn't have anything to do with whether you're single or married. The Bible calls the church the family of God, and everybody's got a chance to be in that. And listen, when we talk about family, there's so many things that are just crazy. You know, in our first service, uh, the demographics are just a little bit different. And so there's not a lot of people in our first service that are actively engaged in parenting. But you know, one of the things that has just been a surprising thing is how many grandparents are actively parenting their grandkids. That's amazing. And so we need to be a church that helps grandparents perhaps doing parenting 2.0 because something's happened with their kids and now they've got to care for them. Family doesn't look the same as it did even just 20 years ago. And so, listen, as we work together to build strong families, we hope that one, one of the goals is to build a new building, okay? We're not, we're not trying to be disingenuous. That is definitely one of the goals. But as we build strong families, there's going to be new opportunities we don't even know about now that are going to be in front of us in just a few short years. How are we going to build strong families? It goes back to our strategy. We're going to tell people, listen, you need to be in worship as a family if you want to be a strong family the way God says. You need, to be in a, you need to be in some kind of Bible study group. You need to be investing. You need to be living it out, depending upon one another. So what's that mean for us right now? It means right now, when we talk about this mission of building strong families, we are focusing for greater alignment and greater impact. Most churches, all right, all the dudes are going to like this. <clears throat> Most churches are like a shotgun. We hit everything within about 10 feet, and then it stops about where Gil is. It ain't going very far. We're going to boom, knock it all out, and then the shot falls about 30 yards away. And when we talk about intensifying and focusing and strategizing, we're talking about the difference between being a shotgun and being a laser beam that goes four miles. Intense focus. And saying, what do we need to do to build strong families? That's what it means now. How do we focus for greater alignment and greater impact? What's it mean in the midterm? Well, here's the thing that I think is just so cool. This is one of those things that God does that no land acquisition committee can do. Kind of like being born, you don't pick your parents. You don't pick your home. You don't pick what state you were born in. You know, it just kind of happens to you. And in the same way with our church, we didn't pick anything about our church. We didn't pick our location. The South Carolina Baptist State Convention said, we're going to put a church right here because there's a huge mill across the street, and we want you to reach that mill. As a matter of fact, our very first church building, the mill gave us the property for our church. The joke used to be, if you were a foreman at the mill, you were a deacon at the church. And so there was just this kind of relationship that was there. And so our church was placed here, not by our own choosing, because there was a missional need to reach the people that worked at the mill and lived in the neighborhood. 
The problem is in 1980, the mill closed down and everybody left. Everybody used to walk to church. Now there's like two people that live within walking distance of our church because everybody lives out in the community now. But what has God done? We bought a piece of property 15 years ago that is now, in our day and time, like right now, the heart of everything that's going to be happening in our city. And so God said, oh, the mill closed down and everybody moved out of the neighborhood? Well, let me plop you right in the middle of the action. And when we bought the property, we had no idea what was going to happen out there. But the biggest and most significant growth that's going to happen in Rock Hill is right where we're at. And even if another church wanted to be out there, they wouldn't be able to afford the property out there. God gave it to us. We had to pay for it. God gave us the property. And so God's just doing kind of 2.0 what he did with us right here. He plopped us right here. And now he's saying, here's a new opportunity to be right in the middle of the action. Long term, what does it mean to build strong families? I don't know. But you know a couple of things that I dream about? what I would love our church to be known for. I don't want in this political season for us to talk about we're, we're pro-life if we don't back it up. What if we had people volunteering at Palmetto Crisis Pregnancy Center and saying, you know what, if you're thinking about murdering your baby, give it to me. I'll, I'll raise your kid. Because I'm not here to condemn you. I just think life is important. And I don't think that you have the right to terminate that life, even if it's an inconvenience. If it's an inconvenience to you and it's offensive to you that you're pregnant, give it to me. And, and I will raise that kid. There are, with the, it's strange because the higher poverty levels are, it seems like the more substance abuse grows. People who have no money get money to use it on really dumb things. And so you have all kinds of kids in our, in our city that are in foster care because mom and dad are locked up. And maybe like adopting, like that just blows your mind. But maybe even some of you who are grandparents have the opportunity to care for kids temporarily and to bring them to church. And maybe you do missions by fostering a kid for six months and giving them a stable home and having a mom that cooks them a meal and tucks them in at night because it's not something that they have. You know, the, uh, the, the statistics when it comes to debt are just crazy. The average American has $10,000 right now in credit card debt. And then uh, college guys, listen to this. The average college graduate has $23,000 worth of college loans and that's before you buy a car or buy a house. How do you like those potatoes, man? That's not good. That's not like that's not like shoot for that. Don't do that. You know that's that's bad. I mean, you're going to be digging out of the hole for a really long time. I think it would be amazing if our church was so committed to helping people get out of debt that when you join the church, our church paid the hundred dollar fee for everyone that joins our church to be a part of Financial Peace University. That we just say we want to be serious about helping you get your life back together. And if you're paying thirty thousand, fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollars worth of debt your marriage is going to be in trouble. Finance is one of the top five things that breaks a marriage up. That's bad. And so long-term, what could it be? I, I don't know. But there's going to be all kinds of new ministry opportunities that come this way. And so here's the thing. Why do we talk about all this? Why, why is it worthy of your support? It's this, and I hinted at this already. We, we cannot, we absolutely cannot make more significant the project details than we do the potential impact. We, we cannot assign greater significance to project details than we do to potential impact. Do you understand that? I mean, is, I, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to say, guys, we don't need to make the building an idol. The building is a building. It's a shell. It's a thing that we use. It's a tool. It's a glorious tool. It's a wonderful tool. It's going to be a happy home, but it's a tool. And so we can't make, we can't make this thing more important than this thing. 
because then we lose the forest for the trees. Now, the truth is, we're all interested in project details, aren't we? You interested in project details? Anybody interested in seeing a floor plan? Maybe seeing an elevation? What, what color did they paint it? Nobody's in... I don't think we're going to show any pics this morning, Emmanuel. I don't think they're interested. You know, listen, there's just this human side of us where we're interested. And so when, um, when our architect sent the email, he said, all right, it's a big file. It's on its way. Like, my, I stopped breathing for a second, and like my heart stopped because I went, I'm going to open this file, and I'm either going to love it or I'm going to hate it. I'm either going to rejoice and, and listen, I had to speak to my own heart because there's, there's some of those idols of my own heart too. You know, I have expectations, I have preferences. And listen, it wasn't anything that I was expecting. It, I didn't know what to expect, but I thought given our congregation that is a little modern, a little traditional, uh, there are some things that's really neat. Uh, Miss Lucille, I don't think she's in here. She's in the first service. She dug through our archives and found a picture of our very first church across the street here. And there's an amazing similarity between that very first church building we were in and the church building that we're talking about. The the most prominent feature of that church building built in 1908 is going to be the most prominent feature in the uh, thing that we're getting ready to build. So uh, Brian, Martin, and I are going to work on our telepathy to make sure we're on the same page so he magically knows when to to, to turn the slides. But let's go to the first one here. This is a picture of what is basically a general steel building. Uh, That is the most frugal way for us to build. When we talk about getting our building costs down, and making it something that's achievable, it is basically a pre-engineered metal box. We're trying to be frugal. We're trying to dress it up. We're trying to make it look nice. And so there are some things that he's done on that front entryway that are more traditional construction to make it not look like a, um, Scott, like a lube shop, (laughs) like a uh, a mechanic's garage. We don't want it to look like, you know, put a couple garage doors on the front of it, and it's a car maintenance, it's a body shop. It's not that. And so he's done some really neat things with some um, exposed wood. He's taken some very traditional elements with fascia and things of that sort to give a very active and vibrant. And listen, it's a modern-looking church building with traditional elements, and it doesn't look like some of the more modern buildings in town that you all have told me that you hate. And so (laughs) I know where you're at. You've been honest. Uh, Let's flip through. This is another area of a very large gathering area. They say it's very important that churches have a threshold. Because most churches have a sidewalk. A sidewalk is not a gathering spot. A sidewalk is a place for locomotion. It's where you move. You walk. And if you stand on a sidewalk, you might get run over. And so, because a a sidewalk is not designed for congregating or meeting. It's designed for getting from point A to point B. So he's built some very large entryways, large patios that allow us opportunities to do one of the things that we really like to do. That's called fellowship. And so you'll see a patio area with some gazebo-type structures that are there and lots of uh, green space. Next slide. Um, one of the things that was important, if, you, uh, if you're a visitor, okay, I'm going to apologize right now because we're going to tell you, hey, we've got a gift for you. We'd love to meet you at our Welcome Center. And all, all the church people here, you know, like if I try to explain how to get to the Welcome Center, what do I have to say? Go out this door, go down the hallway, hang a right, go to the dead end where the stairs are, make a U-turn down the stairs. When you get down there, make another U-turn, go down that hallway and go to the left, and I'll see you there in five minutes. Tie a string in case you get lost. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Now, we have done the very best that we can with what we got, but you've got to go upstairs into the uh, space between the buildings. We wanted in our wayfinding to make it possible for you to know exactly where you need to go without anyone even having to point a finger. So when you walk in, you see worship, you see children's check-in, you see Northside Cafe. It's very intuitive. Now, 
you need friendly people who are going to like encourage you and say, hey, is this your first time here? Can I help you know in case you can't read? Can I help you find out where you need to go? Um, and if you like to tell people where to go, then you don't need to be a greeter. But you, you're trying to help people kind of figure out how to navigate on your campus. And so some things about the lobby, it's huge. Like we could fit 10 people in our lobby out here and then you can't move around. Um, this is like 3,000 square feet. And so plenty of opportunity, especially when we talk about maybe stacking our services together to give plenty of transition area so that the church can be in the lobby and have opportunities for that transition. Uh, let's go to the next slide. You'll see uh, just another view of the lobby with the children's check-in at the very end down there and the welcome desk kind of here under the cross. Uh, next slide shows our fel- a fellowship space with our cafe and up in the top left, the doorway going into a multi-purpose room. Uh, next slide's another one of the cafe, um, hardwood floors, some really nice color schemes. Uh, next slide is, I think, our worship space. It's a 400-seat worship space that is flat flooring. And the reason we chose to go with flat flooring as opposed to, um, I think they call it stage seating or theater seating. Theater seating is sloped. Is the minute you do that, then you can't use it for anything else. You can't put tables in a sloped floor. You can't put tables on um, stair steps. And so it's flat. So we want to do conferences. We want to break into smaller groups in there. We want to do meals in there. It's very much multifunctional. Uh, the next one is another picture from the stage of kind of what we're looking at for our worship space. Um, and then the next slide is the multipurpose room. This is a really easy access room for things like uh, new members classes, pizza with the pastors, uh, things for new members. We could have all kinds of other things that happen there. So uh, this gives you, that's the last one, right, Brian? Okay, that gives you an idea for kind of what we're looking for. And at the end of the service, we've got a really nice brochure that we've put together. Um, it's got a pledge card. It's got the, um, it's got the floor plan. It's got everything that you're going to be able to see in there. It's really kind of fun, color-coded. So all the bathrooms are colored blue. All the nursery areas are colored dark blue. Worship's purple. Really easy to kind of navigate. Um, so the picks are important because one of our goals is a building. And the question is, how are we going to get there? <clears throat> how are we going to get there? And there's a really easy one-word answer to that. And the, wor- the, the word is generosity. It's generosity. Everything that happens in a church that requires money is dependent upon the generosity of its members. Now, it's just plain and simple. And so here's the thing. Our vision, <clears throat> our vision of building strong families is going to frame our future. That's going to be the frame that our future, it's going to be in this frame. But our generosity will fuel our future. Where we go, how far we get, you know, how many laps around the track we get, how much gas we've got in the tank is dependent upon the generosity of our people. Now, here's the thing that's really important is in this whole thing, we don't want this campaign to simply be about a building. We want it to be about ministry. We want it to be about being and doing. We don't just want it to be about construction. And so here's the thing. It's a really important clarification. Churches do not do fundraising. We don't do fundraising. This is not a fundraising campaign. What is this? It's about what we're about. We are about discipling. It's about discipling. Because what you do with your money says some things about what you worship. And generosity is a Christian virtue that needs to be developed. Generosity is important because lordship is important. You see, here's the thing that happens. If we are Christians here this morning, it is because we have gladly given our sin to Jesus. Sometimes in that process, we have given our hearts to Jesus. People who serve the church have given their abilities to Jesus. But then there becomes this 
waterline that we don't cross when it comes to giving our lifestyle to Jesus or giving our finances to Jesus. Because if you listen to the um, statistics on the state of generosity, it's not good. Less than 10% of all churchgoers give what we would call a tithe. Less than 10%. Less than 10% give 10% or more. Um, From 1961 until 2008, giving in the church remained fairly static. And then a statistic that had been static for 40 years changed in 2008. The average Christian gives about 23 2.4, 2.5%. That's the average uh, churchgoer. And here's the thing that's really sad about that. Uh, For some of you, this will sound like ancient history, okay? But it's important because I think this betrays where the heart of our nation is, okay? It's not just a church thing, it's a sociological thing. When we talk about churchgoers giving 2.3% to the church, the thing that is so depressing about that, pun intended, is it's less than Christians gave during the Great Depression. We give now, in our age of prosperity and stuff, less than we did on average when our country went through its most trying time socioeconomically. Basically, you can take whatever the membership is of a church. For us, it's about 700 people. And basically, no, I'm sorry, it's attenders. So if we have 400 people in wor- 300 people in worship today, basically 100 will give us zero, zero dollars. They'll never contribute anything. 100 will give under $500, somewhere between one and $500. And about a third will give more than $500. Does that make you happy? To think about those kind of statistics when it comes to generosity? It's crazy. <clears throat> You know, if you just took, we, 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 we just generated giving statements for the third quarter, and there were 237 giving statements that went out to our church. Now, certainly some of those are kids. I think the, the, the person who, who uh, Kay told me gave 13 cents, I think that was one of my sons. Um, he doesn't have a job. He got a giving statement, you know. So of that 237, let's just say 200 of them are adults that are giving regularly. Let's knock off the 37 and just say 200. If those 200 people, I mean, just, this is just a simple illustration. If those 200 people would all increase what they give to the church by $5 a week, $5 a week, that'd be $260 a year. That would add $52,000 a year to our church budget. Does that surprise anybody? Listen, does $5 a week sound really crazy? You can raise your hand and not, and we won't think that you're crazy. Does $5 a week, $20 a month, $260 a year, does that sound like it's really absolutely going to break your piggy bank? Nope. You know what it does to the church? If 200 people increase their tithe $5 a week, it adds $52,000 to our budget. You see, here's the thing that's crazy. We're not asking. Uh, we're not asking for people to all give equally. We're not capable of that. You know, you may give more than I do. I may give less than you, this, that, and the other. Um, we're, we're not asking for equal giving. But I'm hoping as redeemed Christians that we all aspire to equal sacrifice. What that's going to look like for me is going to be different than what it looks like for you. And so here's the deal. If you're one of those people who go, I absolutely can't give because I'm that dude with $10,000 of credit card debt, $23,000 worth of school debt. I want to buy a car. I want to buy a home. I'd love to get married someday. And I'm never going to get married if I got no money because she doesn't want to even want to. I make her pay for our dates. I mean, it's just not good. Um, Listen, here's how you can participate in our capital campaign. Get help. Maybe, you, maybe all you do right now is you get help and you try to honor God with your money and get out of debt. Maybe you jump on later on. Or maybe you get a year or two down this and you go, hey, I actually have like disposable income now. 
God's helped me get out of a hole. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. Maybe, maybe what your gift looks like is really, really small. Listen, every little bit, what our kids put in the play is going to help us to achieve our goal. Some of you are not in that situation. Some of you are, have been very mature with your money. Some of you have been very good stewards. And some of you have the opportunity to really significantly bless the church. Now, how, you, you know who you are because you probably get stuff in your mailbox every week that says, hey, give to Clemson's alumni fund. Give to the, you know, help USC win games. Maybe we can buy a game if we, you know, pay the referees off. Um, you know, well, um, help this need, help that need, do this, do that. You know, you get solicitations because people know that you have money. And so you, at this point, have to kind of make a decision. I have this much that I can spend. Where's it going to go? I would simply say, I think this, this, this campaign of building strong families is worthy of your support. And if you need me to sit down with you and talk about strategy and, and dream big dreams and say, why is it worthy? Then let's do it. Let's get together. And let's talk about if there is a portion of your money that God has given you that you want to invest in this particular, particular way. You see, listen, the, the issue is you don't, you don't give to the church and you don't give to a budget. And uh, we're not even really specifically asking you to give to a building. Because, you know, what if you don't like that building? What if, like, that color blue, like, it's too close to, like, UNC blue? You know, then you, you know, I'm, I believe Clemson. I'm not going to give to a Carolina blue building. Listen, your preferences dictate what you do. And so, like, if you're giving to a building, then you won't give to a building if your preferences aren't met. But if you're giving to God, it changes everything. And so our goal in this, listen, our goal in this is something very specific. Success or or a a goal, success for us needs to be defined as transformed lives, not mere budgetary attainment. Okay, let me ask it this way. We're talking about going into a $750,000 campaign. If we end up with $720,000, not $750,000, but God has done amazing things in our church, is it worth it? I'll let you think about that here for another second. So let me ask it again. If we're $30,000 short in our campaign, but God has done something to transform our families, is it worth it? Absolutely. If we reach our goal and we're the same people that we are right now, has it been successful? No. No. It hasn't. I'm sorry if that sounds as a shock to you, but we're Christians and we're concerned about our motivation and we're concerned about our growth not just a budget line item. We want to see both, and we fully anticipate that over these next three years, as we see God move, we will see God bless our church financially, but we don't believe that those will be the most significant blessings that we'll see. We think God's going to do stuff in our faith family. We think God's going to put marriages back together. We hope that we have a chance to turn the divorce rate around, which is 7% higher than the national average. It's not New York City and L.A. It's Rock Hill. What can we do to turn that around? We want to see that kind of stuff. And so that's why we're saying we think it's worthy of your goal. And listen, if you have been blessed by the bride of Christ, the church, you'll give. How can you not? How can you not? <clears throat> let, me, uh, let me hit a couple things here so we can, we can close up here because I think that this is important. Um. A couple things just specifically as we talk through it. We've got uh, a couple slides here. One of the things that we plan on working on as a church is growing what we give out of the budget into our building fund. 
And so we would like, this is not a specifically stated goal, but I'm just laying out some assumptions so you can kind of see where we're traveling. Uh, right now we put $33,000 into our building fund. We would like over the next three years to get that to $90,000. That way, when we start talking about financing, we can afford whatever it is that we're talking about doing. And so if we, put, if we get to the point where we can put $90,000 into our building fund, that's $750,000, you take 216 off the top. Okay, so for those of you that are good at math, I think that's 500 and... My, if you're visiting, my, my wife has been a math professor for 17 years. I haven't had to do math for a long time. That takes us down to about $535,000. $534,000. In our last campaign, we didn't even have a million dollars in the bank. We generated $28,000 worth of interest over the last three-year campaign. So let's just assume for our second point that we don't invest, we don't put anything else into our building fund. It just stays flat for the next three years. Now, that's not true. We're going to try to put $750,000 into it over the next three years. So $1 million that never grows, and let's just assume, assume, this is an assumption. Let's assume a 2% rate of return. That's $20,000 a year. That's another $60,000 potentially. Might be worse than that. <clears throat> I'm just saying, play along with the assumptions. We're playing a little game here. So now we got down to $535,000. We can maybe take another $60,000 off, which takes us below $500,000 for our needed pledges. That's number three. Uh, if our uh, building fund growth and our interest happen the way that we've just played out, that reduces our pledge need to under $500,000. You take that, number four, by our 200 giving units. And here's, listen, listen to this very carefully because this may have a really particular effect on you personally. If we take, uh, for argument's sake, a $500,000 pledge commitment, and we divide that by the 200 adult giving units, that means that um, on average, on average, we would need a $2,500 pledge over the next three years from the average giving unit. That translates into $834 a year or $69.50 per month. Here's what this means. Y'all know my family. You know we can eat, especially the boys. <laughs> fill up one leg, fill up the other leg. I mean... Watch out, Jacksons. For my family to go out to eat once a month, you know what that costs? One billion dollars. <laughs> Probably 70 bucks. Depends on where we go. Probably 70 bucks. If we just say, you know what? We're going to skip eating out once a month. You know what we've just done? We have met the average goal for what we need. Now listen, some of you, 70, 70 bucks for you, is a drop in the bucket. For some of you, 70 bucks a month is going to be, that's going to be a challenge. But the point is, you don't have to be a person who can drop like big figures to really have a huge impact in this. Everybody can get on board and we will be amazed at what happens. Listen, here's the thing. Uh, the, if you take our 200 people and you take our annual budget, which is just a little bit under $600,000, that means that the average gift, that the average giving unit gives to our church is around $3,000. Now, we've just come through a period where we've had over 50 people join our church in the last year. If we grow by 10 people and they give on average, that's an increase of $30,000 annually into our church budget. Okay? Listen, it's not about numbers, but these are important illustrations of saying if everybody gave $5 more, we'd have a $52,000 increase to our budget. If 10 giving units joined and they gave on average, not above average, not below average, on average, that'd be another $30,000 a half. The point is, guys, it starts to add up really quick. And to sit around and twiddle our fingers and go, well, let's think about this more. 
there's a need for us to just say, let's do it. Let's start putting the money in the bank and seeing what happens. And there are no doubt, when you see the floor plan, it is exactly in line with what we talked about in, in May. It is a place for us to worship. It is a place for us to put our kids during worship. And it's uh, a big lobby, fellowship area in the lobby. It doesn't have everything that we want. It doesn't have everything that we need. There are things that we don't even know yet that have the potential to slow us down. But there are, there are things that we haven't fully explored that could really move things fast. Listen, God sells this property and uh, we get a million dollars for it. Wow! Guess what? All those things that we want and we need that aren't in the current plans, they get put in real quick. We pass the plate again and we say, all right, we're only $50,000 away from being done with it. And so we're asking for you to really consider giving because we think that this is something our church has been talking about for 30 years. This is something that we put a million dollars into account that's sitting there. We've got to push on and we've got to realize this because we believe that God has called, it to it, called us to it. Now in your brochure that you'll get on your way out the door, there's a pledge card in consistent with our Build Strong strategy. The I is investing your time, talent, and treasures. We fully understand that there are people because of their circumstances that you know what? Giving to this just may not be a reality. So our question to you is, what can you do with your time or with your talent to support this? Can you give your time to pray for us to build strong families, that God would give us favor to do the things in our city that we're aspiring to do? Do you have some free time that if, if we said, hey, will you help us build strong families and are we allowed to give you a really interesting ministry assignment? And you say, I have no idea what that means, but yes, I want to help us build strong families. And then we say, all right, great. We want you to go sit for two hours with Susie Adams on Monday morning. That's going to help us build a strong family. And you just give us the freedom to deploy you as we need within our congregation. If you can give your talent, your, your abilities in that sense, guess what? You're jumping on board. Certainly, as we've talked about the dollars and cents, you can honor God with your treasures related to this as well. So next week, we're, this is in your, um, in your brochure. We're going to collect these next week. And in your, in your brochure, I really want to encourage you to read it because it, it gives some really specific and I think good encouragement to prayerfully consider. Now, I'm not asking you what you want to do. I'm asking you to ask God what he wants you to do. And that's a completely different situation. And so we're going to collect these next week. We're going to ask for you to prayerfully consider over the course of this week what it is that you can do. And we're going to have next Sunday night a celebration Sunday night. We'll collect them on Sunday morning. We're going to have an ice cream social next Sunday night, and we're going to celebrate. We're not going to do a big fancy dinner that we're going to spend money when we're trying to save money. Um, we joke that we're going to have ice cream social and ask everyone to bring their own ice cream. And so um, we're in a campaign. You know, We want to save money. We're going to have a good time. We're looking forward to that. But that, those, are the, those are the areas in which we are moving. And so let me close with this just real quickly. I want to make very clear in the whole way that we've tried to, to do this. We're not trying to talk about buildings. We're trying to talk about buildings the least amount possible so that we can talk about being the church instead of building a building. But there are, to be absolutely clear, things that we want for you, not from you. There are things that we want for you, not from you. And it only comes when you're generous. Number one is contentment. Have you ever in your life experienced not needing anything? Have you ever in your life ever experienced not needing anything? Being perfectly content with everything that God has given you. 
You know, it says uh, in the Bible, in Proverbs 10, 3, it says this, that God does not, the Lord does not allow the righteous to go hungry. Why? He always provides what they need. They have the opportunity to be content, that they're not going to starve. But he, so while he doesn't let the righteous go hungry, he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Some of you worry because you don't have contentment. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the day after that? What am I going to eat tonight? And the Bible says that when you're generous, when you understand that God has you in the grip of his, his hands, you're going to be generous. Because God, he's got this. And he's going to take care of you. Number two, what do we want from you? Not just contentment. You know, we live in a culture that is always dissatisfied. If you've got the iPhone 6, you want the iPhone 7 or the iPhone 18 or whatever the Android thing is. We're just never content. And the Bible says it's okay. It's okay to not want. It's okay to rest in the provision of God. Number two, we want the blessing of God for you. And when we say this, please hear me very clearly because we live in a day and age where there are false teachers that say if you give to God, then he's going to give to you. That's not what we're talking about. We don't manipulate God by giving to him to get something. Here's the deal. God wants to bless you. And there are things that you can choose to do that put you in a pathway of blessing or they put you not in a pathway of blessing. And generosity is one of the things that puts a smile on God's face. And so he wants to bless you. Listen to this. Proverbs eleven twenty five: A generous person will prosper. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? What, what makes a generous person generous? They give stuff away. That seems to be the opposite of prospering. But the Bible says a generous person will prosper. There's a blessing that comes in giving. Number three, contentment. Um, being content with what you have, understanding the blessing of God and true joy. You know, it says that um, Jesus had a campaign that he was in. He was going to redeem a people. And it says, for the joy set before him, despising the shame of the cross, he marched forward. He was willing to give it all. And I'll conclude with this story. I, I love it. It's a tearjerker, but I mean, it, it, the, the point is well taken. There were uh, two, two kids, a boy and a girl, <clears throat> who both had a very rare uh, blood disease. <clears throat> the boy recovered from it, so developed uh, naturally the antibodies that would respond to the disease. And so because they were young, they really didn't want to do transfusions and all these kinds of things, so they did this huge search, and it comes down to the fact that this younger girl's older brother is the only one that is a suitable match for her life to be saved. And it's a terminal illness, and so... Uh, the doctors have a very serious conversation with a nine-year-old boy. And they say, we need to take your blood and we need to put it in her body and, and, and God's going to work in such a way that your blood is going to make her better. Are you willing to do it? Because you can't just take a kid's blood. That's wrong. You've got to ask him. And so he has to think about it for a second and he goes, yeah, I think I'll do it. So they wheel him into the room where they're going to do the whole process. And the, the sister is kind of pale, kind of weak, kind of frail. And the, the boy is kind of a bouncing energy of life. He looks healthy. He's pink. You know, he's not white and sallow. And they begin the process of hooking up the machine. And I hate needles. It makes my knees weak just thinking about it. And they put the needle in, and they put the needle in, and then you can start to see the blood come out of his arm and up the piping through the machine into his system. And as the blood gets drawn from his body, you see his, pa- his face begin to pale just a little bit. He gets a little bit weaker. And you see commensurately, 
the pink returning to her flesh as the health of this transfusion is, is kicking in and taking place. <clears throat> and then the boy asks the doctor a question. He says, well, I die right away. You see, he had mistakenly assumed that to save his sister, he needed to give all of his blood. And the truth is, they only needed a little bit. But in maybe donating three pints, what had he done by getting on the table? He'd offered it all. We don't need it all. We need some. And that, that explained why it took him a second to figure out whether he wanted to do it, because he understood that he was putting his life on the line to save the life of somebody else. And as we talk about building strong families, please don't walk away from here and make this a statistic of the preacher asking for money. That's not it. Because we think that there's more in it for you than we'll get from you. We really do. And whatever it is that you can give, we want you to be happy with what you can put in the plate. And we want you to know the true joy, the contentment, and the blessing that comes from being obedient to God. Because it's easy to run through life without seeing those things. So as we move forward in building strong families for the glory of God and for the good of our city. Will you join us? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, there, there are a lot of mixed feelings kind of running through my heart. And we just pray that you give us the wisdom and the grace to do as you see fit. God, here's, here's the great thing that we know. We have no idea what we will receive. But we can know at the outset that whatever you give us, it will be enough. We will seek to be the very best stewards of whatever you entrust us with. And God, we pray that at this point, you give us hearts that believe that you can do things that maybe our minds think are impossible. That you help us to understand that as we depend upon one another as a family, as we live out the gospel, as we do the things that we're supposed to do together, as we cultivate the discipline of generosity, God, you're going to change us. We pray that the change that you affect in us is something that ripples throughout our community and that there are more people that worship and glorify God because of this campaign than would without it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>